0: Hello, my name is John O'Connell and welcome to AMX FICA Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FIKA? FIKA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining myself today is Asha Cowie and Asha is a digital healthcare leader with acute, ambulance, community and mental health and commissioning experience, both at the local level and at the regional levels. Uh, asha started uh, and joined the nhs as part of the nhs graduate scheme for health informatics asha is passionate about emerging leadership uh, within digital healthcare and also enjoys the intersect of strategy digital edi equality diversity and inclusion and workforce so really, really powerful areas to sort of focus on uh, she's also a mum with a wonderful daughter and is the co-founder of flex nhs which we am sure we hear more about So a really warm welcome, Asha, Uh, delighted to have you on AMX Fika podcast.
1: Hi, John. Nice to be here.
0: Thanks for joining. It's really good to have you on board. And obviously the most important question we have with our guests that join uh, Fika um, is all about uh, having a coffee and a cake with friends. What are you, a a coffee or tea drinker, and what would be your favourite cake?
1: So my my normal go-to would be um, a really, really sickly caramel latte and a chocolate brownie um love it but i am trying to be a bit healthier at the moment so i'm, I'm on the black coffee at the moment
0: uh-huh.
1: but black coffee and a brownie mm-hmm. it's a moderation right Get
0: you going yeah good i'm on the green tea here so i'm trying to sort of both <laughs> of it must be a january thing <laughs> it's fantastic so as we, we we um share with this podcast we try and uh share obviously some leadership journeys and yours is very interesting uh for our listeners would you be able to sort of share your career journey journey to date uh you know what what's got you to where you are today and and how you ended up there but you know any sort of lessons and and key insights that you've picked up along the way really good to sort of hear about that
1: yeah sure so um i i went to um so i I did my a levels and went to uni not not really knowing what i wanted to do like I, i think quite like a lot of people Um, I did an economics degree. It felt quite safe. I was quite good at it. Um, And then I graduated at the same time as a big economic recession. So it wasn't the most useful degree really to have. Um, I I worked in clubs, supermarkets, everything for a while. Um, And then I saw a job in the paper for London Ambulance Service as a 999 call handler. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. I'd never thought about working for the NHS up until that point. Um, but, you know, the focus was on, on being able to sort of communicate with people, do customer service, which, which was all the stuff I'd been doing in my other jobs. Um, so I applied for it. I was successful um, and I haven't left the NHS since. Um, so doing 999 uh, was absolutely amazing. Um, so I, I worked in the control room for about four years and um, doing call taking, dispatch uh, allocation, everything really. Um, and while I was at the uh, ambulance service, I then got interested in, in clinical audit. So I got involved in some clinical audits and eventually moved into the clinical audit team um, where I did my first data role um, as a stroke data assistant looking at um, sort of the, the bundle of care that stroke patients, stroke patients, has had. So things like, had they, um, you know, had they received the appropriate um, monitoring? Had they gone to a hyperacute stroke unit within a time frame? All that sort of stuff. So it's my first real flavour of sort of that sort of role. Um, and I'd been really lucky, actually, at the ambulance service that um, my my manager at the time had had let me uh, sort of, they'd released me for a week to actually just go and shadow an information department in in a hospital in London and actually, um, you know, sort of in terms of take homes, you know, take opportunities like that up because they're brilliant and they can really help to shape what you what you may or may not want to do going forwards. Um, so I did the clinical audit for a while um, and then I did it at at an acute trust a bit closer to home. Um, it was actually then I did the graduate management training scheme, so I was already in my mid to late twenties by the time I did that. Um, so, so you know, another tip: don't don't let age sort of put you off doing schemes like that. And um, you know, it's it's never too late, and they absolutely open doors. Um, so I, I did that for two years in the health informatics specialism. I, I studied for health informatics MSC at the same time. Um, and I did a number of placements. I did a placement as a business analyst, uh, and again, at an acute hospital. Um, I did a flexi placement at uh, GlaxoSmithKline uh, doing project management. Um, and then I actually went into um, a CCG and the NHS England regional team um, doing some more general sort of strategy policy work and um, actually not that related to digital which I'll probably explain a little bit later why, why I went down that route. Um, after the scheme I then got a job in the regional NHS England team doing um, digital transformation in their team. I stayed in that area for a couple of years before I went on maternity leave and um, I came back. I did yeah. went into general transformation Um it didn't quite work out. Um, I, I found it really difficult coming back to work after having my daughter and again we'll touch on that later I'm sure. Um, I actually left the NHS for a little bit. Um, I didn't have a job to go to but I, I just I wasn't happy and I needed to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then I went to summer schools, um, I think it was in Birmingham that year, and I connected with some old colleagues. Uh, and it was at that point um, I ended up coming to work for South Central and West CSU on their bank initially before securing a permanent role. Um, I spent uh, just 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 under three years um, at South Central and West um, and I got to work on quite a few different areas um, with, within that. I spent quite a lot of time working on primary care, um, so primary care transformation, um, ironically, sort of before the pandemic. So... It was actually quite fascinating to see all the stuff we've been talking about, um, just t- just how it happened. Okay. I, I moved off it about two months before the pandemic and then sort of from the sidelines saw sort of, you know, all, all the stuff we've been trying to do happen within about a month or two, which was incredible. Um, but hey, just timing. I can't I can't sort of um, take responsibility for that one. Um, but I did a lot of primary care um, and then I I started work, uh, doing a lot of work around skills development and um, doing a big piece of work with Health Education England on the development of the Digital Academy. Um, and I also um, sort of I suppose was the was the main contact and looked after a lot of our colleagues um at, at the CSU supporting Health Education England and the digital readiness programme with a number of things, um, which was really exciting because for me that that was that intersects with workforce and digital for the first time. Um and, and I, I I find that fascinating. Um I did that for a couple of um So I I did all those roles at CSU for about three years. And then um, I decided to apply for a job um, where I am now um, at Surrey and Borders Partnership. Um, It came up and it just sounded like it was written for me. It was at that point where I was thinking I was quite keen to get back into a provider, um, and 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 just sort of get a flavour for that, and and I'd never done community and mental health actually before this role, so for me it was very much something I wanted to make sure I'd, I'd done at some point, um. So in a nutshell, that's sort of my my career path. I've done and tried lots of different things, um. I'd say. I don't think I've got a typical role. I think I'm quite a hard person to box in, but it is somewhere where that sort of strategy meets digital, meets culture, meets workforce. Um, One of the things, um, and again, I think we'll talk about, we've got lots to talk about today, um, but when I was on the graduate scheme, I I definitely felt um, a little bit lost, actually, in terms of my expectations of what I'd be doing and the role I ended up doing. Um, and I opened up lots of cans of worms, uh, cans of worms that I continue to open now, sort of nearly right. 10 years later. And for me, there was this, there was really big mismatch between expectations. And, and don't get me wrong, the scheme was fabulous. And it's done, you know, it's done so much good for me. Um, but I I really had in my mind doing stuff, which was more, I think, the, the change management, the digital transformation type stuff. And, and again, I think this comes from my Background of working in ambulance and you know clinical audit and clinical audit and service improvement and stuff. Um, and, and actually, I didn't really enjoy doing my placement as as, an, as a business analyst. Um, I found it quite frustrating. Um, I appreciate now in hindsight a lot of trusts, I think, have been in that position where. You know, you're de- and, and you know this was ten years ago now. Um, you're dealing with a lot of manual processes. It can sometimes feel like you're spending more time doing the manual processes to get the data out than you're actually doing the insight and transformational work. So, you know, I know what I know now. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. At the time, I found it quite quite frustrating, and it really got me curious as to, well, what else can I do? Where do I go? But because informatics was so broad, and we didn't really have you still don't really have clear defined career paths it was quite difficult to know so actually what skills should I be sort of focusing on where should I go for the best experience to get the most out of a scheme or to you know to broaden my horizons and that sort of thing and it was really really difficult so um you know we're not there yet we've got a big journey to go on but I'm optimistic that all of that stuff is improving and, and very much going in the right direction Um. so um you know, I think we always knew career path would be the bigger chunk of this. So I think, um, you know, the take homes I mentioned earlier, you know, do the shadowing, do the observational yeah. work, you know, take opportunities, but ask, ask for them as well. As I said, um, you know, one of my first jobs, they let me go off for a week to do that. And, and it absolutely helped to shape my experience in and what I wanted to do next. Um, and I think the other thing is, if, if if you're working in a in a role, you know, within that digital informatics uh, umbrella, um, let's we not get into the debate today of, of what the definition of informatics is. But, um, you know, we're some of all our parts. So there's something about really do try to understand and value the, the different teams around you. And, you know, that's both within digital and, and beyond digital, because I do think sometimes we do have that risk of, becoming quite siloed in things without realising you know where are our transferable skills how can we best work together so you know do, do try to look at look, look up and out as well I think is, is my other top tip um, and you know just talk to people and use networks.
0: So thanks Asha. that's really great that's fantastic insights and, and you know sharing those valuable lessons about being open to opportunities for placements which is really uh, where it all comes from, I think, and that fluidity of role is really, really powerful. But, um, yeah, interesting, which, and there's another question which kind of ni- nicely linked in that piece about, um, I think you've been quite unique in the sense of being able to move through uh, your journey, a career journey, from sort of research, as you mentioned, doing some research stuff, then taking those findings into the national role of, from a policy perspective and then going back into applying them into practice. You know, and what was, I mean, that, that journey sort of happened through, you know, just opportunities that appeared. What was the most thing that surprised you about that journey? And is there anything that you'd recommend anybody else who's probably going on that similar journey of kind of research, you know, policy and then practice?
1: That's a really interesting question. Um, and I'm going to probably go into deep reflective thought now and I'll try and pull out some stuff that makes that makes a bit of sense. Um I think one of the big reflections for me is it, it can sometimes feel and you know this is me personally this you know different people have different different experiences is it can feel quite easy to to feel removed from what you're doing if you're not careful and um, I do suspect that my first role being a 999 call taker dispatcher meant you know it's probably one of the closest roles you can do on the front line without without being a clinician so I suspect it it is ingrained in me a little bit that sort of pull back to the to the front line so I think for me I, I I do struggle sometimes when I feel like I'm losing that connection or I'm not sure quite you know what to do with it and um you know but I, I try to keep myself grounded so I, actually you know I've, I've got I've gone back into provider trust now but when I've been in those sort of regional or national roles or projects um, I've sort of made sure that I've I've got people around me who can keep me grounded, who I can sense check things with, um, that I'm you know making sure that you know making sure you're in touch with reality in, in one sense. Um, and i guess i'm quite lucky that i've 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 built those networks over time and, and actually it's probably quite a lonely place to be if you if you haven't got them and you you've you've sort of come into that environment um but again that that's very much personal perspective and i think it's just a natural pull i've got because of because of my background perhaps um i think the other thing that I've, i found really interesting was some of the assumptions that people made about sort of me and my work ethic and my behavior um because i'd previously worked in a in a national organisation or or a national body and you know I, I don't quote me exactly but i've you know i've had things said to me along along the lines of you know you don't know how to communicate because you've come from you know Quango, that sort of thing and um you know i took that quite offensively and it was quite hurtful and but actually you know, there is the risk that these assumptions are made about people just because they're in a certain type of organisation. And, you know, I can say hands down in all the different organisations I've worked at, you know, all the various different types of provider and regional, national, whatever, you know, people are trying to do a good job. They're trying to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, I think we have to just be really mindful of that. And and we need really good people in, in all areas as well. So, you know there, there is something for me there about you know some of that mutual respect um it works both ways you know and, and again for me I think that's the whole point about you know needing to be grounded and, and keeping in touch with reality so you know I think as I've as I've sort of flitted you know back and forth a bit I think you know that that's probably one of the biggest surprises for me um I, I don't know if I could do or stay in national work for for a long period. I think I've done it for sort of two, two years maximum, and then I do start getting itchy feet a little bit. Um. So again, I think you have to sort of listen to your listen to your inner monologue a little bit with
0: that. Thanks, Asha. That's fantastic insights. And it's that yeah, it's that back and forth. I think of keeping yourself aware of what's going on on the ground, but then going back again. And, and actually there's something about future roles in the sense of people being at, from the national level, and then moving into the front line as well, and having that sort of fluidity back and forth, which I think gives you those unique insights. No, and, and really great points about the assumptions that we all make about people uh, not to judge too quickly. But no, thank you for that. And going back to when we've, we first spoke before, you mentioned as well that you, you're working on obviously establishing, I think, the Southeast Skills Development Network, which is really interesting. Uh, and I believe that's part of the digital readiness programme. you able to share with us some of the ambitions that you have for that network and why you feel that that's so important?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I'll I'll give a little bit of a background because um, I'm not sure everyone listening to this would would have heard of them before. So um, skills development networks have been around for for quite a long time for finance um, and I believe um, at least a couple of years, the procurement networks have been established across the country as well. Um, So so this is in England. Um, The informatics networks are relatively new. Now that's with the exception with one or two that have been established for for some time. So when we talk about informatics and the skills networks, um, most people would have heard of, I imagine, the Northwest Informatics Skills Development Network, which um, I can't remember the exact year, but I, I'm, I'm sure they've been going for, for at least nine, ten years because they, they were around when I started the graduate scheme. And, um, yeah, they're, they're very much, um, you know, it, it's a great opportunity within that region. Yeah. Um, over the last year or two, there's been a national initiative to get those informatics skills um, networks rolled out uh, across the country. Um, some of them have got different names, some of them are called uh, informatic skills networks, some of them are called digital health networks, um, but um, the end goal is that there, there will be seven of them to align to the seven um, NHS EI regions. So I put my hand up to help set up the southeast um Network. So we are called the Southeast Digital Health Skills Development Network. Um, we're in our very early stages. We've started to form a steering group. Um, we've we've uh, submitted a proposal to get some funding and resource to sort of kickstart the network. Um, and, and what we'll be doing over the next sort of couple of months really is reaching out to all the organisations in the region, um, understanding, uh, you know, hopefully getting them to sign up understanding, you know, what what are some of the skills needs and putting together that programme for the region. Um, That sort of process will be replicated in most of the other regions in some shape or form um, and we're all at different stages. What the skills, um, you know, what these networks provide is, you know, firstly, they are they are run for the region for the region. So it is up for the, you know, it's up to the regions to decide exactly what they want to focus on and what they want to do. we we ran a regional event to sort of get get a bit of um feedback into our initial ideas we've got a lease program for year one but you know we will continue to shape that and co-produce that and develop that as the network gets established and grows um it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation before you start because you know we haven't got all the resource until we know what we're doing but likewise we, we want to make sure that we're doing something that's useful um but One of the things that hopefully will start to provide is a really good route um, into the regions and maybe a clearer route into the regions when it comes to things like career pathway, skills development, training. You know, what are the best courses to do? The whole professionalism agenda. So, you know, working with BEDIP and and the professional bodies. Um, And at the moment, you know, it, it, it can be a bit potluck as to whether people have heard about things. Um, you know, are people getting the same opportunities, that sort of thing, you know, and, and do some of the regions, you know, do they want to do their own programmes and are there specific things they need to do or want to do as a region? So it's a really interesting piece of work. Um, I imagine we can share like a link to the HEE website as part of the podcast podcast. Um, I'm getting a thumbs up so we, we can do that um, but it's you know if you want to get involved um, definitely get in touch and we can connect you to either uh, myself myself in the southeast or, or whoever is establishing um or, or running the network and um, within your own region so um, I'm, I'm really optimistic and I think one of the things I'm most looking forward to doing is you know understanding that opportunity for helping people to connect with each other for that career progression and understanding what what you know what they might be able to do, um, I'm quite lucky with a lot of the opportunities I've had. Um, I say that, but I'm also a very curious person, and I have shaped a lot of those opportunities for myself because I ask a lot of questions. So it, it's how do we help people to have you know have those chance opportunities and and, and make some of it a bit, a bit more structured um, and. when I I say structure it's an interesting thing it's not about dictating a path or dictating you know you must do this or you must do that but it's we need to help people understand these are your options these are the opportunities that are available to you these are the things you could do um because otherwise you know you're stumbling around in the dark without a clue and that's where we risk losing people and and you know anecdotally I think about my time on the grad scheme and stuff you know we lost quite a few people quite quickly because they, they you know they for whatever reason they they moved on from nhs organizations and you know the recent he report shows that you know we are going to have a massive shortage in the skills we need in the nhs if we're not careful um again we can add that report um, onto the onto the onto the podcast list um so we, we you know we have to do something about this really
0: Fantastic. Actually. It's 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 that piece about having those guide rails for people to be able to have a vision of where they want to be, but be able to follow that journey through. No, it's uh, it'd be great to get you on board when it's a bit more involved to sort of see what, what else you can feed back into. So that, and I to see a shout out for that professionalisation with FedIP, the important body as well. And I'd encourage people to to also link to that. We'll try and put that on the end of the podcast as well for people to link into. Yeah, no, I couldn't couldn't agree more. It's, it's so it's so important, and uh, be looking forward to seeing how that develops uh, as we go forward.
1: And you think- can get a virtual badge now
0: with that Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the digital badge is fantastic, and also, away. Uh, uh, well, obviously, you've been probably yeah, I suppose now as if it, time does fly by, but probably about six months into your new role in mental health. Um, how you how have you found it, and anything you're able to share with our listeners with that new role that you've got?
1: Yeah, so I I started um, in August. So yes, literally just coming up to six months. You're right. Um, so it's been really interesting. And, and as I said, I, I haven't done mental health or community before. Um, I I did interface with mental health a bit when I worked at the ambulance service, and um, when when we would um, support people in a crisis, for example. Um, but but this is that this is a whole new new ball game for me in terms of working. Um, and I have my own personal experience of sort of dealing with anxiety and other stuff, but um, yeah, from a work experience, com- completely new, really. Um, I think some of the take homes. The, the first thing I'd say is getting that holistic picture of the the patient pathway. I think is is a lot more challenging um, because it's not it's not a linear pathway. So, you know, if if I was to think of I don't know having a I don't know a cardiac procedure or, or or cancer or something like that. That that does tend to be a, a relatively linear pathway, and you know there will be outcomes, bad and good. Um, but it, it it does tend to follow that it it you know you you have a bit more predictability, I suppose, in that sense. Um, with mental health, it's it's a lot more. You need that holistic picture, and it's more about it's you know it's more about sort of stepping up and stepping down and. Uh, you know, as you need it, and and how so many of those services interact with each other that are overlapping and related. So, I think for me that one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things for me has been, you know, that that is very different to to, to managing sort of um you know, different um I suppose different conditions. And um, you know, just just this morning I was having a conversation um about um. Physical health checks and mental health, which is quite a, a big area of importance at the moment, and um, I think a new a new report some new data has come out today to show that you know it, it's just still not good enough. And actually, one of the things I didn't realise is when people um, p- people living with mental illness uh, are more likely to have um, you know other problems and uh, and actually by having those physical health checks, you know, we might be able to pick up or monitor things more quickly. So that intercept between mental and physical health, again, is even more important than, you know, I think I've definitely given it credit for. Um, so I think everything I've spoken about so far is quite actually okay. clinical and operational. Yeah. Um, so, you know, talking about actually the, the data and the tech. So, you know i've come into a trust that um you know they, they weren't a global digital exemplar they weren't a fast follower and um, they have just been um announced as one of the digital aspirant plus um organizations Um so actually for the first time that they're, they're getting some of that focused national funding to to support their relation um elect, electronic patient record which is really exciting um i think there's something about um we we work with a lot of partners and even though we're the we are the specialist mental health trust. A lot of that mental health data is actually held, you know, either in primary care or in the various partners and charities we work with. So it's it's quite a complicated picture. Um, and I think the last thing I'd I'd share is um, and you know, this is this is more an observation. I don't know if this is a hundred percent correct, but you know, my understanding is quite a lot of data maturity has been driven by things like payment by results, um, so that you know that need to report because of because of that. And I think men- mental health data didn't have that same push. So, you know, I, I do wonder if if in in you know in, in some respects, is that why there hasn't been as much of a focus on on some of the mental health data, um, you know, alongside the fact there are all these complexities with how you actually look at the pathway in a different way so um this isn't the area on places too so i'm not going to pretend to be an expert in it um but it, you know it, it it definitely feels more complex and it, it's going to be really you know exciting to understand more about how we can move forwards with it um you know I'd also just add to finish off it, it it is really exciting and humbling to be working in mental health and um, I'm really passionate about it and and I am really looking forward to to learning more about it sort of in years to come and actually getting the voice of mental health out there when you're working as a system or you're in your national forums <coughs> or whatever um, because, you know, it, it's got that reputation of, you know, it, it, it can be left behind or be seen as a poor relation and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, anything I can do to sort of help the advocacy of that, um, you know, is, is amazing.
0: Oh, fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. It goes back to, I suppose, what we you are saying about that ability. Well, I suppose we look at population health management and we look at kind of system delivery of, of care and ensuring that, you know, or, or taking that step back a bit and thinking that all, not all parts of the system are evolved and matured. The same way so if you're looking at investment cases does it need to go into one area before it goes into another so it's something about that leveling up agenda isn't it it's really important in health and there is it so easy to get an assumption that we're we can see an acute provider and what we know we see in primary care is it be the same in, in, in you yeah, know community and in mental health as well but no thanks for sharing that insight it's fascinating and uh just moving on to the, the final question here just to, i'm just reflective just about the journey that you've had on from research policy into practice um, going through those three phases which are really, really interesting in yourself alone. who are the sort of three people that have most influenced you across that journey?
1: I'm terrible at these sorts of questions because I get paranoid I'm gonna miss someone so I'm gonna cop out slightly and, and and cheat a little bit and refer to, to free groups and free networks that have played an important part of my life. And um, so I think the first thing would be um, I've, I've worked with some wonderful teams in particular over the last few years. So, um, and actually over the last couple of years, um, I've had quite a lot of, um, you know, personal trouble and I've I've gone through miscarriage and all sorts and actually um, having amazing teams around you just makes the difference between being able to get through stuff like that and still come to work and, um, you know, and on top of that, I'm, I'm quite open about the fact I've got my anxiety and I can struggle with that sometimes and, know by working with those those teams who support me hopefully I can dispel the myths a little bit that you can't be a leader you can't be a senior leader if you've got anxiety or, or something else so yeah absolutely the teams I've worked with have been absolutely brilliant over the last few years and have enabled me to be the person that I'm you know I need to be and I want to be not pretending to be someone else sounds a bit cheesy but it's true um second thing is the, the flex nhs network so um we didn't actually get onto flex nhs surprisingly but but flex nhs is a resource and sort of support network community um uh, to, to really help promote and encourage flexible working to um anyone you know whatever your role is whatever your seniority is um and this came about um through um Myself and Kate Jarman, who's a a director of corporate affairs at Milton Keynes Hospital, uh, we connected on Twitter and um, Kate said, you know, do you want to sort of start this platform and see where it goes? And we've now got a community of nearly 10,000 people on Twitter, 10,000 people on Instagram. And what it has really become is this beautiful place for people to share their experiences, ask questions, support one another. And I know I, I previously spoke about I really struggled when I when I came back from maternity leave for a variety of reasons. Um, it wasn't actually the right job for me it was one of them. But but also I put on so many expectations on myself about the return to work, and actually having that community and network is probably it's the sort of thing I needed. It was the stuff I needed to hear like four or five years ago. Um, so just a massive shout out to that network and, and the people who continue to share their stories and encourage each other, because I'm absolutely certain it is keeping people in work and it's keeping people going and we shouldn't underestimate that. And um, the third thing I will say is, is, you know, the the, the digital health networks in general. So, and I mean that as a whole. And in particular, we've got the Shuri Network, uh, One Health Tech, who are doing some amazing things for diversity, um, and also the, the digital health networks themselves. So you've got your CIO, CCIO, CNIO networks. Um, again, I came back into work because I went along to summer school and I met people and I got to speak to people. And, you know, again, I think that the story here is user networks, networks. Um, you know, networks have undoubtedly supported my career um you know find find those people find your tribe ask questions um you know and 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 bring other people up behind you as well is the important thing um i will end on i think there
0: fantastic no thanks for a great shout out and uh thanks for sharing. very very inspiring and uh uh amazing insights that you've shared with us actually today Re. Yeah, thank you very much for that i think just even the thing about you know shadowing when you it off pulling out for those placements those opportunities just to get yourself to see without what's out there and i think also the importance that when you're sort of moving through just be aware of when you're moving through different you know whether it's at a national level or a regional level or a local level just to be aware that when you're coming in new or to any any environment that people will make assumptions that people do and just to be aware of those and to sort of that ability to... I think what was really key as well, picked up that piece to be able to move back and forth through your career and and refresh and renew each time, which is really important. That circular... We we all call about circular economy and something about a circular workforce to be able to sort of rotate through and bring the best from the bottom up and the top down so you have that sort of knowledge sharing as well. But, um, you know, it's really inspiring to sort of hear... the uh, sort of uh, programs of work you've been involved in and the sort of lessons you've learned on the way. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I think I was encouraged to keep up with those can of worms, as you mentioned as well. I think they're really important to sort of challenge as we go along. Um, just finally, I uh, just obviously with a very busy role that you've got and uh, what do you do outside of mental health to relax, Asha?
1: So um, I try to exercise. Um, so, so, I'll caveat. Um, you know, I've got a five year old, so between her and work, I don't have that much free time. Um, but um, you know, I, I, I try I try to exercise, do my running, um, and again, for my own mental health, exercise is really important to me. I, I really notice if I don't do it. Um, I, I'm trying to get into reading more, I'm not very good at it, and I tend to end up doing scrolling instead, but I'm working on it. Um, and um, Actually, I've, I've realised this is the year I need more hobbies. So um, I think I'll, I'll stick with that. And, and hopefully, Glastonbury will go ahead this year. So I, I look forward to yeah, enjoying fantastic. my festival fix.
0: Fantastic. And how can people follow you on, on Twitter, Asher? well
1: yeah so very original and it's just my name ashikawi on twitter and that's probably the best thing um we've got um flex nhs as well on twitter we've got surrey and Borders digital as well you'll find both of those through my account Um, and we probably will at some point get a skills development network one set up but watch this space
0: thanks for sharing your insights and as we as you hear on other podcasts we always talk about open data and open source and everything but I think what you just uh, inspired me I think is something about open leadership and being that honest reflective and saying this is what it's like and it is challenging but uh, amazing stories and thank you very much for sharing your insights and uh, look forward to getting you again on the podcast thank you thanks John so I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast uh, look forward to seeing you in the future